Amen. <clears throat> Happy Easter. That was way better than first service. <laughs> yes, we're awake now. Yeah, awesome. We are so glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, today when we get to celebrate. Good morning, Lydia. What are you coming in late for? Oh, she was doing check. Okay. That's my daughter, so I can do that. Um, no, we are, we are so glad that you guys chose to worship with us this morning. Uh, I was thinking first service and now... Just, I'm overwhelmed with what God has done. There's, there's, today is a great day because we are celebrating the risen Lord. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But there's something else. Today is uh, Common Ground's second birthday. So, yeah, woohoo! So, we started two years ago today, and we started with a dream, uh, and many of you were part of that dream, but we started with a dream not to be a big church in town, not to have the best worship. We started with a dream of a group of people sold that to Jesus Christ. That was the dream. A group of people that want to do whatever God wants to do. Not a group of people saying, my opinion is this and we ought to do this and that. But what does God want us to do? And let's go that way. And I have to tell you, there is a movement happening. God is working and God is bringing us amazing people like Paul and all these other musicians. So we do have great music. Uh, but God is moving. And, and proof of it is this week we have two services. And we have two services going throughout this month because we've been running out of room. And change is hard. I mean, we all know change is hard. And especially in church, change is hard. But you all really have stepped up. And so I just have to say thank you. And it's encouraging for me to see God is moving because when God moves, he doesn't move through a couple people. He moves through many people responding to the Holy Spirit. And so what has happened is, you know, I called Timothy earlier this week and, and he's uh, responsible for the kids area. I said, how's it going with kids volunteers? He said, it's good. I said, do you have all you need? He said, we could always use more, <laughs> but people are stepping up and it's going to work well. Um, so I just have to say, thank you. Proof to me that God is moving is how easily this has happened doing this two services and, and uh, how willing people are to change. So thank you. And I'm going to pray. And we're going to get into this. Lord Jesus Christ, Thank you that in the word you say that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Thank you that you desire to move. You desire to give people life. Jesus, you said that you came to, that we may have life and have it abundantly. I am so grateful that the life you offer is not one of religion or duty or condemnation uh, or guilt, but the life that you offer is one of freedom, one of joy, one of passion and it's all based, Jesus, on you dying on the cross and rising from the dead so we could be forgiven and have life in you. We thank you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be here with us this morning. More than anything, we want you to be glorified. More than anything, we want to meet with you because we know that when we meet with you, you are glorified and we won't leave unchanged. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to remember with me. Remember the first time you encountered death. When was the first time somebody close to you died and you actually had to think about mortality and eternity? For me, I was nine years old and it was my mom's dad. My grandpa died when I was nine. And grandpa, we had a great relationship. You know, grandpa was a lot of fun. He took me fishing. Uh, I tried to push him in, so he threw me in. He would go sledding with us. Grandpa was the one that... that We'd go to the church and we had a bell tower, you know, old, old church. We'd climb up in the bell tower and get rat's nest outs together. And uh, he let me ring the bell. Grandpa. So when I'm nine years old, grandpa passed away. 
And I remember, I don't remember everything about the funeral. I don't remember who spoke. I don't remember the music. But I do remember what I felt. And I do remember what I thought. And, and I remember doing a, it was an open casket. And maybe you've been through one of those. But I remember walking by and seeing Grandpa. And I don't know why I didn't walk through with my family. But my memory is that I had friends around me, which meant I could do what I wanted. So I remember leaning over the casket and looking at Grandpa and even reaching out and just touching his face. And I remember my thought was, this is not Grandpa. I had emotions. I had emotions about Grandpa, but not at that moment, which I thought was weird. I looked at that and went, this isn't this isn't him. And I was a nine-year-old boy. A nine-year-old boy, you might know some nine-year-old boys. And I was having these deep thoughts that grandpa's not here, but I also knew grandpa was somewhere. I just knew it. I knew that, that he didn't cease to exist. I knew that this was just a body, but that the real grandpa was still somewhere. And I think that's interesting because it's important for us to think about mortality. I read a an interesting, surprising statistic recently that said that the mortality rate of human beings is 100%. <laughs> so far, so far, we haven't conquered death. So the one thing we're guaranteed is to die. And then after that, something. And as I thought about that and I started studying and reading, the majority of humans throughout history have all agreed there is something more after this life. Here's a picture. The ancient Egyptians. This is from the Book of the Dead. This is thousands of years old. The ancient Egyptians had this belief. On this, you see the scales, and on the right is the feather of justice, and on the left is the human heart. And so they believed that when you died, your heart was put on a scale with this feather of justice. And if your heart was heavier, it was eaten up by a beast or something, and that was the end for you. If the feather was heavier, then you got to move on into the afterlife. So that was, that was the Egyptian belief from forever ago, uh, one of the oldest civilizations on earth. The ancient Romans and Greeks, maybe you're familiar, they would put a coin in the person's mouth because they believed that they needed that coin to pay Charon to go across the river Styx. This isn't just in movies and books, by the way. They believed this. To cross the river Styx and enter the afterlife. Every religion had some kind of belief in afterlife. And I think we have to ask the question, why? And the answer we would find in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity into the hearts of man. In, in the society we live in now, in America, very materialistic, very anti-religion, anti-God, in, in 2014, a survey was put out, and 80% of Americans claim to believe in an afterlife, in a, in a literal heaven and hell. So if you are one of those that believes there's something else, you're in the majority. You're in the 99% the of all humanity that ever existed. Within each of us, there is a desire for eternity. C.S. Lewis talked about that desire, and I thought he spoke about it in a very clear way. He says this, the Christian, excuse me, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling desires to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there's such a thing as sex. 
If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but to arouse it to suggest the real thing. When God created us, he hardwired us, hardwired into us an innate desire for eternity. And so that's why today, Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about heaven. We've been going through a series called The Story. And today is the culmination of the story. It's not the end of the story. It's the continuation of the story. But we're going to talk about heaven. We're going to ask, what is heaven going to be like? So to catch you up to speed, though, if, you, if you're one of those that you like to watch those TV shows that they continue week after week, it always has to start with previously on whatever. So previously on church, the story, we started two weeks ago looking at the very beginning. So answering the questions, this story is the greatest questions we've ever answered as humans. Where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? What's it all about? The first question, where did we come from? And we saw Genesis 1, where God, in the beginning, God spoke. And it probably was a loud bang when he spoke and everything was created. But in the beginning, God spoke and created everything. And he created it very intentional. And you go through the six days of creation and finally, the culmination, he creates man and woman. And he breathes into them life. He creates them in his image. And then he says, this is very good. That's the beginning of the story. That God created us, put us on this planet and said, good. But in order for something to be good, well, we, as we looked at that creation, we then asked the question, why? Why were we created? And we saw the Bible laid out three very clear reasons why you and I, why men and women were put on this earth. The first one was to rule. The first one was to rule this earth. We were put here to work, to work the earth. So your job, you were created to do your job. You were created for that. One is to work. The second one, we were created to bring glory to God. We were created to bring glory to God. And as you read through the Bible, you'll see that what brings God the most glory is also what's best for people. That when people are in right relationship with one another, right relationship with Him, serving Him well, being saved, God gets the glory. So we were created to glorify God. And the third reason we were created was to be in relationship with God. God didn't create just servants. God created people in his image that could feel, could think, could create on their own in order to be in relationship with him and with one another. The greatest commandment, the Bible says, is that you would love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this is what we were created for, relationship. But then for relationship to be legit... There's got to be a a possibility to not have the relationship, right? What good is it if somebody loves you if you're making them? So we had to have the freedom of choice, the the choice to go away from God or to follow him. And so we saw that's why God put the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And he said, don't eat from it. You can do anything else you want. You can build a tire swing in that tree. You can build a fort in that tree. Do whatever. Just don't eat the fruit. They ate the fruit. That was the fall. The curse happened, and that's why, as we we look through the story, that's why this earth, you look around, this is why we have what we have. Pain, suffering, abuse, finally death. All of that entered after sin, and we're all guilty of sin. The Bible's very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So there's the story. God created good. We messed it up. But last week, we looked at the rescue, 
And the picture we, we began with was if you as a parent lost a child, as in they disappeared, they were taken, what wouldn't you do to find that child? What wouldn't you do to get that child back? That's the picture of God with us. That we, when we sinned, we broke our relationship with him eternally. What we were made for, and as a good father, he looks at that and his heart breaks. And what wouldn't a good father do to get his kids back? And so God did what we couldn't do. The wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible teaches. So God put on flesh, became a man. This is what we celebrate Easter is the death and resurrection. We talked about it last week, so you can listen to the podcast. But Jesus, God became flesh in the form of Jesus, lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, died the death we deserved because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So we had a debt that our sin earned that we couldn't pay, and so God paid it so that he could be back in relationship with us. The good father chased us down and said, I am going to make it possible to renew this relationship that we lost before because of sin. That's your fault, but I'm going to fix it. That's the story. So that's the rescue. Creation, fall, rescue Jesus Christ. But today, we're looking at restoration. We're looking at the rest of the story. Right now, we're still living in this period where there's still sin, Jesus dealt with the penalty for sin. So if you follow Jesus, the penalty's done. You're going to heaven. Jesus dealt with the power of sin, meaning if you are filled with the Spirit, you belong to Jesus, you don't have to follow sin anymore. You can be free from that. But the very presence of sin is still here, and we can't deal with that, but Jesus will in the end. So today, we want to look forward. We're looking forward at when Jesus returns, what's that going to be like? What is heaven going to be like. So we're going to be in two passages. We're going to be in John and Revelation. The John passage will be on the screen, so you don't have to turn there if you want to just read it. But we're going to talk about heaven. But first, I want you to get a picture in your mind. Sorry, I skipped forward a little bit. What is heaven like? Because that's what we're talking about. We've gone through the story. What is heaven like? If you're anything like me or the rest of Americans, this is probably the picture you've had of what heaven's going to be like. We're going to be in clouds. Pegasuses are definitely there. <laughs> um, we're floating. Uh, we become angels. Maybe we get wings and we have halos. And it's really boring. <laughs> that was the picture I had as a kid, was that heaven was an eternal church service in the clouds. Am I the only one? <laughs> but that was the idea I had. And honestly, when I thought about that, I went, eh, <laughs> can I just stay down here? Like, can I come up? And you're like, oh, you can choose heaven or earth. Well, send me back because that doesn't sound like fun. You know, what do you do the whole time? Playing Frisbee back and forth on the clouds. What if you drop it? Um, <laughs> it's heaven, so you can just get a new one out of the box. But, but the idea that I had was, you know, I do like to sing, but we're singing. We've got harps. I don't want to play the harp. That was the picture we had of heaven. So today, my goal is that we look at the Bible, the one true book, the book that has never been proven wrong in anything that's ever been written, to see in here what is heaven going to be like. Because this is the only thing that we can believe is what this says about heaven. So John 14, 1 through 6. Here's the situation. Jesus, Jesus just told his disciples that he's going to die and go away. 
And his disciples said, we don't like that idea. We'd rather be with you. And they're troubled. And so Jesus comforts them with these words. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Thomas is one of his disciples, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's what I want to get out of this passage. There's a lot here, but I want to start. He begins at the top. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. That word house, you know what that means in the Greek? House. That word always refers to a very literal place. A house, a building, a place. And as you keep going, it says, I go to prepare a place for you. That word place, it never refers to some kind of spiritual, ethereal place. It always means a very literal place. And here's what I want us to get. Heaven is a real place. Just like Carson City is a real place. Like Sacramento is a real place. Like Hawaii is a real place. Heaven is a real place. And it's a place we want to go. We flip over to Revelation 21, 1 through 5, and we're going to see a picture so you can turn there. But here, as we see Jesus talking about this place that he's going to prepare, you know, this, this passage is used a lot of times to comfort people at, in funerals, you know, that they've died, but they're going and there's going to be a, a roommate for them. And the picture sometimes is that Jesus, when he died and he then rose from the dead and ascended, now he put on a tool belt and he's up there like adding onto the house. So like somebody else dies, like, oh, shoot, I need to go make another room for that one. Yeah, but, but really what Jesus meant here, he goes to prepare a place. He was talking about the cross. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. What he was really saying was, I'm going to prepare a way for you to get to the place. The place is a real place where God is. It's a real building. It's a place. But the way to get there, I have to go shed my blood first. And then Thomas said, how do we get there? We don't know where you're going. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus went to prepare the way to get to that place. What song did we just sing? What did Jesus say on the cross when he was dying? It is finished. What's that mean? It means the path was done. They poured the concrete. They put up the handrails. The path is done. You can go. But Jesus is the way. So there's no other work that needs to be done. That's my point. There's no good works. There's no good deeds. Every other religion on earth will tell you what you need to do to earn your way to God, to heaven. Jesus says, there is a heaven. It's a real place. And I already prepared the way for you. Just walk the path. You don't have to do anything. Just go that way. So Jesus prepared a very real place. But now let's look at that place. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. So if you've ever asked the question, what is heaven going to be like? Well, there was this guy named John, Jesus' best friend while he was on earth. John lived to be an old man, exiled to an island called Patmos. And he was given a revelation. Years after Jesus died, rose from the dead and ascended, Jesus then appeared to John in a vision. He said, I'm going to show you what's to come. I want you to write it down so people will know. This is what he wrote down. Revelation 21.1. Then I saw... 
a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. John here is looking at our eternal dwelling place. And what does he see in verse 1? Now, let's acknowledge real quick, there are some things that are going to happen between now and then. There's some things Jesus is going to return, and, and this is going to be our eternal dwelling place. And there's some things that we can wrestle with. What's it look like between now and then? But here's what we know. Jesus is returning, and this is what it's going to be like for eternity. So this is what we're looking at. But what does he see? Verse 1, he saw a new heaven and a new earth. That's interesting. He did not see a bunch of clouds and angels with harps and little babies with wings. He saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, in, in the scripture, that word heaven is used three ways. The heaven as in the skies and where the birds are flying, that's heaven. Heaven as in the universe where the planets are circling. Or the third, heaven, the place where God dwells. What do you think this one's referring to? Don't shout it out. <laughs> this is referring to the heaven where the, the birds are flying. The immediate heaven. So John sees a new heavens and a new earth, meaning this is a very real place and it looks a lot like what we see right now. It's an earth. We understand earth. It's a heaven. We understand the heaven. So yeah, there's going to be clouds and things. This, this new heaven and new earth is going to be like this one, only perfected. Remember at the beginning when God created, what did he say at the end? It is good. He didn't say... This is a good rough draft. <laughs> he said, this is good. He made it on purpose. That way, he knew we were going to sin, and he knew what he was going to do to fix it, and he knew at the end he'd go, all right, what I made was good. We're going to redo it because sin messed it up and marred it, so now we're going we're to get rid of that earth and make a new one perfect the way he planned from the first beginning. So this new heaven and new earth is a lot like what we know. Is that encouraging to anybody? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It is to me. Because as a kid, I'm like, I can't picture heaven. I'm not excited for heaven. But as you start reading, it's like, wait a minute. It has a lot of aspects of what I do know. That excites me. There's going to be food? Sweet. I can maybe go swimming? Excellent. There's going to be friends and relationships? We understand some of this earth. We can see heaven. Eternity is going to be like that. But it's going to be better. Have you ever had an old junk-up car, jalopy, and the day comes to buy a new car? And you trade in that jalopy, and then you get in the new car, and you're like, ha, all the buttons work. <laughs> you smell that? It doesn't smell like cat. It smells like, the, you know, that new car smell. That's the idea. You know what a car is like, don't you? The old car, it had wheels, it had doors, it had an engine. Your new car has wheels, doors, and an engine, only it's all new and perfect, depending on the car. Yeah. 
But that's the idea. That's the picture that John is trying to give us of this new heaven and this new earth. Our eternal dwelling place will be a physical earth similar to the one we know now, but better. Part of the misunderstanding throughout history is that physical is bad and spiritual is good. The Bible never teaches that. God created physical good, but it was corrupted by sin. So in the end, we will be physical. There will still be physical, no longer corrupted by sin. That sounds pretty awesome. In 1 John 3, 2, same author, John writes about these new bodies that we're going to have. He says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. What he's talking about is when we die and we're with him, you know, when he returns, what we will be for eternity is not yet made known. We don't fully understand it. But what we do know, but what we know is that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. John says, we will have bodies like Jesus had a body when he rose. Remember Resurrection Sunday. It's what we're, we're celebrating. What happened when Jesus rose from the dead? Remember, they ran to the tomb. What did they see? Did they see a body laying there decaying and then the spiritual Jesus over here going, hey, I'm over here. No, the body was gone because the body rose. And over the 40 days in his risen body, Jesus appeared to many. And you see what he does in those times. There's a, one time the disciples are in a room and the door's locked and Jesus appears in their midst. So these new bodies will have bodies like his. Somehow we can go through walls. I don't fully get that, but that's cool. So we can do that. They looked at him and they're freaking out. Oh, it's a spirit. Jesus said, no, I'm not a spirit. So, so they, he had that conversation. You see, I'm a body, touch me. They, in their earthly bodies, touched his heavenly body. They touched his scars. Jesus said, you have some food? Give me some food. Jesus ate. Jesus took pains to go, I am real. I have a body. It's different. And we don't fully understand all those differences. It's an eternal body. It's not one that's going to wear out. Awesome. <laughs> it's not one that's going to get sick. It's not going to die. There's no pain. There's no sin. You're not going to do all those things that hurt yourself. But you're going to be in a body. Now look at what else. Verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There's going to be a city. New Jerusalem. Jerusalem was supposed to be the capital of, of Israel, which was God's earthly kingdom where he's going to live through people. Well, now, the new Jerusalem is going to be his capital. He's going to be there, but there's going to be a city. Look forward with me, Revelation 21, but skip over to verse 10 because it describes this city. This is really cool. Remember, we're talking about a real place. We're not talking about this state of being or this ethereal. We're talking about a place that you can touch, you can walk, you can lick. A place. I'm thinking the Blarney Stone. Anyway, or you kiss that. Anyway, verse 10, Revelation 21, 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the 12 gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. 
And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. Now, real quick, if you notice, a lot of times in Revelation, John doesn't know what he's looking at. He says it's like this or that. It's different, but it's like this or that. But he starts talking about jewels and things, and it's Jasper. He, he starts naming jewels. So it's the same ones we have now, only perfect. And here, the measuring rod is of gold. He didn't say it's like gold. So they're going to have measuring rods of gold. So we'll have gold for common use. So that's things that we know. And he measures it, verse 13. Uh, yep, verse 16. The city lies four square. Its length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod. 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurements, which is also an angel's measurement. Did you catch that? Eternal measurements are the same as earthly measurements. Metric or standard? I don't know. <laughs> but they're earthly measurements. They use the same measurements we do. If, if you translate this, he's talking 1,500 miles. Jerusalem is 1,500 miles this way, 1,500 miles this way, and 1,500 miles this way. I don't know what that's going to look like yet. That sounds cool, though. You know, I'm thinking, is it the elevators? Uh, Willy Wonka elevator that just keeps going up with the glass? And then you can go sideways. I don't know. Um, but time, is, space is going to be different for us with our new bodies. Anyway, the city, real place, real big. I mean, like real, real big, 1,500 miles. Can you picture that a little bit? It's a place. Streets of gold. Gates of pearls. Giant pearls, giant gates, one big pearl. Picture that clam or oyster, whatever pearls come out of. It's a real place. We can picture it. But here's, here's what I like about this. I'm not really a city person. I think I'm going to like this city. But on each wall, there's gates. So it's a new earth and a new heaven with this great city and the whole earth. Get, I think we're going to get to explore this new earth. These gates, as you read on, these gates are never closed. They're always open. So we'll get to go out. You know, here's one of the things in heaven, in the, the new heaven and new earth. You know what we're not going to need anymore? Preachers. We're not. We're going to be there with Jesus. But what, we, what will we need? Workers, governing officials. We're going to need those things. I think I'm going to be a, an explorer or something like that. A build. I think I'm going to be one of those that gets to trek out and go find new things and come back and show you guys the pictures of them and, and all to the glory of God. But that's the things we're going to be doing on this new heaven, this new earth with a real city, a real place. I think there's going to be animals we couldn't imagine we're going to discover. Three humped camel. Do those exist? Yeah, I think. Dang it. <laughs> but, you know, how many animals have gone extinct? They'll all be back, I think. I mean, that's my opinion. It's going to be a great place, a real earth. The, the reason we're looking at this is when we get an accurate view of eternity, we live better here. We know what's coming. It puts in perspective our lives. But here's what else is there. Verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. We're going to be in the direct presence of God for eternity. In the beginning, when we read that first beginning of the story, Adam and Eve were made in the garden. Who walked with them? God did. 
He walked in the garden with them. Now, anybody in, in the Bible since then that has been faced with God, what do they do? They freak out. <laughs> they fall on their knees. They freak out because in, in our sinful state, we really can't be in the presence of God. It's a scary place to be. Sin's going to be dealt with. Our new bodies won't be sinful. We're going to get to hang out with God. And the psalmist says this, in your presence is the fullness of joy. When we are with God, we will have the fullness of joy. The Jewish idea that they would talk about is, is shalom or peace. I don't know if you've ever had that experience in your life where things are just good. Things are just the way they're supposed to be. Things are at, at peace. Uh, maybe that one day where the whole family got together and there was no fighting. Um, and you were doing productive, fun things and the food just happened to be amazing. Shalom, at peace, purpose. Things were going as they should. But here's the biggest part of that is the relationship with God is right. Have you ever experienced the presence of God on this earth? I have. Maybe it's in nature where you're just maybe overwhelmed with his presence. Maybe it's in a worship service. I've, I've experienced God in a worship service lots of times where it's just the presence of God is here. And lives, are, it is amazing. Take that times a thousand because we're going to be in his presence there. The fullness of joy. But what's not going to be there? Verse four. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, or pain. For the former things have passed away. How is it those things won't be there? When did those things enter? Sin and the curse. But look forward just one page. Revelation 22, verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Here's the point. Jesus is going to fix it all. <laughs> it's all going to be made new. This is the final finished reconciliation where it's all made right and we're going to live in that state for eternity. This is the good news. This is the story that we need to understand from start to finish. That's why we've done this series, finishing it on Easter Sunday. This is the story Everybody in the world, so many people in the world just don't understand. So many Christians in church don't even understand the full story. Created good, physical. Arson messed it up. The rescue then. Jesus came. God had to come in the form of a man to rescue us. And then finally, restoration. Jesus is coming back. This is our hope as Christians. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, we will be like him. When he does, there's going to be this new heaven and new earth, and it's going to be amazing. But we have to ask one more question. Who's going to be there? Because the typical American understanding, yes, over 80% agree there is a heaven and hell. Most of those would say pretty much everybody's going to be there. Or you outweigh your, your good and your bad. But most would say, you know, all roads lead to heaven. All religions are the same. Here's the problem with that. It's not true. As we already saw in John 14, 6, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father but through Him. Acts 4.12 says that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The story is a beautiful story of what God has done to rescue us. 
But part of that story continues to be that freedom to choose, we still have it. And Matthew, in Matthew 7, he answers that question. For those who would say, no, God is too good, everybody's going to make it. God is good, and he still gives us the freedom to choose. Because if not, he would be forcing people to be in relationship with him, and that's not the way it works. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. We are told to enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the way that leads to life, and only a few find it. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The road is narrow, but guess what? You now know the way. You will, if you're in this room right now, you just heard the whole story. You will never be able to stand and go, I didn't know that story. I didn't hear that story. You've heard it. Now it's up to us to believe it because it's about belief. That's how we respond. All who place their faith in Jesus as Lord and believe he died and rose from the dead will live forever on this new earth with this new heaven. So here's, here's the picture I want to leave us with. I need some help. Luke, catch. Now throw it back. Hold on to it, but throw the, throw the rest back. Yeah. No, there's that. Step on that side. Throw me the rest. Perfect. Andrew, hold this. There you go. Now, Luke, lift it up. Lift it up high. Picture that this is eternity, that this white rope, creation started there, go or whatever, creation started here. And it goes for eternity. So, I mean, to, to make this a realistic picture, this rope would have to go up and down every aisle and then out the door and around the building four times and then around the earth about 18 times and, and then never stop. Because eternity is at, it's forever and ever and ever. But here's the picture. Here's earth. In the scope of eternity, this little green line here, that's earth. From when God created with the word to when Jesus returns and makes all things new. That's the, compared to eternity, that's pretty short. But now your life and my life. Can you see this little black line on there? That's your life. That's my life. Maybe it's 60 years. Maybe it's 100 if we're really strong. But what we do in our life determines what eternity is going to look like for us. The other side of this very real heaven is that there's a very real hell, unfortunately. There has to be because God is just. But there's a real heaven and a real hell. And what we do here matters, makes a difference. You guys can lay it down. Thank you. That was a good workout for the morning. <laughs> and so I want to leave you with a couple questions. Do you know for certain that if you die, you'll be with Jesus in heaven? Do you know for certain that you will experience the new heaven and new earth? If your answer is no, I'm not sure, we're going to have a time of singing afterward. You can come up. We'll have somebody available here and here to pray with you. And you can say, I want to know for certain. Here's a question for the rest of us. Do your current priorities reveal an eternal or a temporal perspective? Do your current life priorities on this little sliver of time, do they reveal that you believe that the rest of eternity is determined by what you do now? Or do your priorities actually reveal that you're really concerned about money or pleasure or fame? What do your priorities reveal? And then here's the last question. Since this is true, 
Since this is true, that what we do here matters for eternity. You know that whole, uh, that quote from Gladiator. <laughs> you know, the theology is not so good, but what he said was true. What we do here echoes for eternity. It does. So if that's the fact, what about those who need to hear this story? If Jesus is the only way and all of eternity determines here, do we care about those who haven't heard the story yet? We've heard the story. What about those that need to hear it? Their eternal destination is determined by them responding with belief to this. I'm going to pray, and we're going to continue to worship. We're going to sing, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And here's how we do that at Common Ground. The Lord's Supper, it's up here. It's the bread and the cup. And we do this in remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross. We take the bread remembering his broken body. We drink the cup remembering his spilt blood. But it's a way to worship. Jesus gave this to his disciples the night before he was betrayed and killed. And he said, do this in remembrance of me till I come back. He said, this bread is my body. Remember that I'm, I'm sacrificing my body for you. He said, this blood is my blood, the blood of the new covenant shed for you. And he said, do this in remembrance. So if you're a believer, this is for you. If you're not, it's okay. Don't take it. But if you're not a believer, sit there and pray or go see one of our, our people and, and say, I need to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But if you're a believer, this is your time to worship, to say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you that this eternity that you've earned is for me and it's all based on what you did. So you'll come down the aisle, grab a cup, uh, grab a, a piece of bread, a, it's a cracker, and you can either go to one of the corners and pray and take it. You can pray with the people you're with. You can go back to your seat. There's going to be music going. And you can just sit there and think about it and pray. Do it as you feel led. The other thing that we can do in response is over here we have this table and we have this table. We have little cards and you can write a prayer to God. It can be a prayer of thanksgiving. It can be a request. Whatever you want to say to God, you write it on that, you roll it up, and you stick it in the chicken wire. And it's just another way to respond between you and God. If you feel like just sitting, you can sit. If you want to stand with your arms up, you can do that. Worship as you feel led, but let's respond. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for showing John a glimpse of what eternity is going to be like. Because in my little brain, I need that picture. Um, and I ask forgiveness for needing that picture, but I need that picture to see we are going to live forever with you, but in an environment that's a lot like what we see, only perfect. Thank you for giving us tastes of eternity here, tastes in good relationships, tastes on, on good days, tastes of your presence. I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would get a taste right now as we respond in worship, a taste of your presence. That is just a, a little bit what it's going to be for eternity. Lord Jesus, we want to glorify you. I pray that our singing now, our taking of your supper, would be a fragrant aroma to you, that you would be glorified. Holy Spirit, I pray for every soul in here that if we need to pray with somebody, we would do it. If we need to give our life to you for the first time, we would do it. If we need to renew our walk with you, that we would grab somebody and pray with them. But let your will be done for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.